new beginning. All right, welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening again. We always appreciate you being here and being supportive of the podcast and listening to the stories that people want to share. So the host today is me, which is Dr. Joshua Black. Our guest host couldn't be here at this time. That's okay. I'm going to run solo and we're going to talk to our next guest. So today we have on Ryan Weaver, who is an all-American rock and country music artist who proudly served as an active duty Black Hawk helicopter aviator in the United States Army. Weaver began his music career in 2005 while still on active duty playing the club and festival circuit throughout the Southeast. His performances are known for their unique blend of high octane original songs and rock and cover material combined with the heartfelt message and genuine humor. In 2017, Ryan signed on with PBR, which is the Professional Bull Riders, uh, replacing Steven Tyler as the headlining act for the PBR World Finals at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Starting in 2008 with a concert at Madison Square Garden, Ryan spent the year touring the nation, honoring our nation's heroes, performing in venues like the AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, Spirit Center in Kansas City, Golden One Center in Sacramento, and many more. His music and speaking engagements are highly influenced by his journey through grief. Ryan has suffered the death of his brother Aaron and his brother-in-law Randy while they were on active duty. Both of his brother's ultimate sacrifices continue to fuel Ryan's fire to accomplish his dreams in music. And you can find his latest EP titled Celebrate America on his website, weavercountry.com, or I guess you find it on iTunes also. Uh, so Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Man, I can't thank you enough for having me. I've been round and round trying to get this scheduled, and it's finally great to be finally on the phone with you. <laughs> finally. <laughs> <laughs> finally, yes. Hey, some things are just you know meant to happen later than, uh, than sooner, and that's okay. We're patient here on the podcast. We know lives happen. People have to go through their, their journey, and like sometimes it's all about timing. And so I'm guessing this is a perfect time <laughs> to have this conversation in whatever vehicle or form we're in. <laughs> So yeah, um, I absolutely. want everything happens for a reason. <laughs> yeah. And I started like, and for me as just like, as I went through life, especially with the death and stuff, like finding patience with yourself and with life is one of, I guess my greater strengths now before it's like, I needed things to happen. And when they didn't happen, I'd get like, I get anxious or I get worried, but now I'm so more lenient and, and, and having time flow a certain way knowing that I don't really know all the answers and that things will happen when they're supposed to. Absolutely. So we met well, about a year ago at the TAPS National Military Survivor Seminar, and you put on a fantastic show. I was, you know, like people say, oh, mu musicians coming on. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> you know, but when you started playing <laughs> and you started talking, I got emotional. I got really involved with your story. And I had a phenomenal time and I, I didn't want you to stop playing, tell you the truth. I wanted you to keep going. But like the uh, the emotion I felt myself, but also at the table I was at was phenomenal. You really struck people's hearts. And I want to just you know say thank you for that, because it means your music is written from an honest place and it is impacting people's uh, grief journey. Well, I appreciate that. One of the most important things as an artist for me to do is connect with an audience. Uh, or any audience I'm standing in front of. And, you know, one of the things that I like to say when folks ask me, you know, what kind of a show do you have? What is your performance about? If someone were to come and see a Ryan Weaver show, what would they, gonna, what would they expect? And I tell them I, I would hope by the time that they got done watching my show, they would feel as if they could stand on stage there with me as a friend and knew me as, as a person just as much as, an artist and with my music, but also my story. And, you know, that connecting is extremely important because music has a way of being able to reach out and cross barriers, regardless of your background or what you've been through or what you thought you you know wanted from your life. It can change you just in one song and to be able to do that for an hour and a half concert, say, or, or just a few songs that you got to see. You know, my hopes are that, every single person that gets to watch one of my shows feels exactly the same way you did. Mm, that's beautiful. And 
Well, has music always done that to you? Is that one reason how why you gravitated towards a singing career? I started in singing late in my life, and uh, I didn't really know that it was something I was good at until actually in my late 20s when I was going through flight school and was doing singing competitions, karaoke competitions to help pay my bills. I was broke and going through the middle of a divorce in the middle of flight school. And, you know, it just helped out with that financial side of it and also something to do that was relatively inexpensive uh, as entertainment. And it, uh, once I got over to Iraq and started writing songs and then Aaron died and that really made me take stock of my life. And I saw that my life was passing me by. Essentially, I was flying helicopters for a living, but it was really something that I did following in his footsteps, my older brother Steve's footsteps. And with the music, it turned into something that I could do for myself that I felt that I was decent at. I didn't think that I was great at it, but I loved doing it. And it was something, once Aaron died, I was following in his footsteps almost my entire life. And one way or another, and for the first time in my life, I was going to have to make my own path. And music was the was the direction that I went uh, at that point. So, you know, we, a lot of folks, they have the story in country music that they started singing back when they were three years old and doing, you know, picked up the guitar and their parents listened to Hank and all that kind of stuff. And I just don't have the same same story my background is significantly different not to say that there's anything wrong with their background mine's just different yeah no that's true it's very true i'm guessing you listened to music prior to that though like it was part of your oh yeah your culture yeah oh yeah yeah my older brother steve he you know loved the eagles and journey and you know the steve miller band and i mean there's just so much of the classic rock that was out there that he listened to but when i grew up i listened to all the boy bands, and then I got into the hair band, Bon Jovi, Guns N' Roses, Metallica, uh, and that's really where my influence uh, on the country music side is. You know, folks say country music isn't country music, but there's so much of a wide range of genres that really don't fit into any specific genre, so they kind of get lumped into country music, and we just call mine rock and country, and it's kind of the... 80s rock infused country music that has the lyrical content that's a little bit different than the typical stuff that's on the radio because I didn't grow up with a bunch of friends going to bonfires underneath, you know, fireflies in the moonlight, drinking a Coors Light with your girlfriend cut off jeans on a tailgate of your pickup truck on a riverbank. Uh, I think I get pretty much got every cliche in country music put in one sentence there, but we kind of do, do, do it a little bit differently. I grew up in small town USA and you know, I would say it's the all-American small-town USA, and then went in the military at 18 years old and spent the majority of my uh, adult life in the military as opposed to, um, you know, in that uh, in that kind of backwoods pickup truck scene. There's nothing wrong with it. It sells a lot of records. Folks love that kind of music. I am a huge fan of uh, some of the songs that are out there and some of the artists that are out there. It's just not what I've, I've taken the route to do to try and stay true to who I am and genuine as an artist. And that's kind of the route, you know, we decided to go. That's beautiful. It's beautiful to stay true to who you are. It's one of the harder things to do because people always have things that you should do to to sell more or be more. But when you can stay true to yourself, like you're a different person, you connect differently and people can see that. I really believe that. Yeah. And so you spent your whole basically 18 plus in the military. Was this something that was part of your family life? Like were your was your dad or your mother or any of your, your family members a part of the military before you? Yes, my grandfather was a uh, an Air Force World War II veteran. He was a belly gunner uh, in World War II. My dad that raised us was a uh, Marine. My oldest brother, Steve, was Army. Aaron, who was killed in action in 2004, was Army. My brother-in-law, Randy, who was killed in action in 2013, was Army. My sister... Uh, Regina was Air Force. I was Army. We had my uncle was Navy. I mean, we have a, a whole military family essentially, and um, you know the uh, we all went different routes and came essentially ended up coming back to aviation. It's kind of or coming together in in the aviation field, which is kind of interesting because I went military intelligence. Both my brothers went in the Ranger Regiment. Aaron was actually in Somalia in the ambush in Mogadishu for that Black Hawk Down was made after and. 
they took the hardcore route and I took the easy route. I went military intelligence and flipped over to be a Black Hawk aviator and they went Ranger airborne, you know, hardcore and ended up being Kiowa warrior uh, pilots in the Army as instead. But Randy, my brother-in-law, he was actually a, a Black Hawk aviator as well. So that's the route. We, we, we all went different routes initially and ended up coming together as, as aviators. kind of cool. It is pretty cool. So why why being aviator? What was so different or special about that for you? Because it was cool cool to be called an <laughs> aviator, man. Because because I wanted to be like a low speed, low drag Tom Cruise, man. <laughs> yeah. I hear they're making a new one, <laughs> Top Gun Two or something. Yeah, it's, it's already done, from my understanding, and uh, yeah. So I don't know whether I want to watch it or not because I heard he was not very kind to the sailors on the the ship, but that's beside oh. the point. We'll find out the truth. We'll yeah, find out the truth. That could be fake fun. news. That's right. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like, I've been in a helicopter once. My dad was really into flying helicopters. Um, I believe, I don't, if I don't get this wrong, um, he was fighting fires in BC when my mom got pregnant. Um, uh-huh. And so, or, so he had to stop and uh, he basically became an engineer. But he always wanted to be in the air he felt i don't know if he felt free or he felt different than he was on land and you tell like i think once he had a family and he couldn't do that anymore he uh i think a little joy came out of his life right i mean aviation is a passion for folks to really love to do it i mean aaron and steve were both passionate steve my oldest brother still flies uh Mm. for a civilian company and quite honestly for me you know and everybody it's cool to say everybody like, oh, man, that must have been awesome being a Black Hawk helicopter pilot. It's cool to say it, and, and it's cool to say that I did it. And it really was – there were moments. But for me, it, most of my flight hours were combat hours, and and it really became much more technical and stressful than it was enjoyable um, simply because every situation that when you're coming up off the ground in the, you know, in the helicopter, there's a chance that you're not going to come down in one piece. And cause we just had helicopters getting shot out of the sky left and right when I was in Iraq and my brother, you know, obviously his helicopter, I flew the day that he was shot down and, and we came back to the company command post to the news that there had been a black Hawk shot down. And it was not the first, it was several, one of several helicopters over the span of a couple months that um, came out of the sky. And it, it was uh, kind of a goal for the insurgents over there to to bring helicopters down um, because they knew that once if a helicopter got shot down that everybody was going to come towards it and then it would just give them more people to shoot at too. So, you know, even though Aaron was in the back of a medevac helicopter with a big red cross on the side, the insurgents didn't care about it. And we knew every time we got in the, in the air to fly that there was not just the inherent danger of crashing, which is, you know, something that in aviation is, is there. Um, but add all the the outside factors of bullets flying at you and RPGs flying at you and birds flying at you and all kinds of stuff because it was also migratory bird season apparently over there and there's just so much stuff that was going on at one time and and it just didn't make it as enjoyable for me as um, I you know civilian flying I've flown a couple times since then uh, and actually really enjoyed flying um, since then but um, I didn't really have a great time as an aviator, uh, you know, in combat and, and flying in the military. Right. Yeah. I, I can't imagine the, well, every time you go up, right. You're saying like, you may not be coming back. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's something that yeah. obviously we're in combat and it's something you're, you're, you're assuming that risk when you sign on the dotted line to give the ultimate sacrifice, like both my brothers did. And it's part of it, but still doesn't make it, enjoyable (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's true that's so true so what was your reaction like when you found out that it was aaron that that was in that helicopter well uh so the day i flew that day and we like i said we came back to the company cp and it was on the news fox news that uh, black hawk had been shot down west of baghdad and my crew chief came in behind me and he dropped all his gear and said man my parents think i'm dead right now and i said well dude just get on the internet let them know that because we had an internet cafe there where you could reach out and talk to folks. And, so just let them know that you're okay. Everything everything will be fine. Yeah, everybody's going to be worried right now, but they'll be waiting to hear from you. So as soon as you can get on, you know, let them know. And then 
I got on Yahoo Instant Messenger with my mom and and she's, uh, you know, when I logged on, she saw that I was on and, and she said, oh, I'm glad you're okay. I didn't think it was you because they did say that it was a medevac helicopter and I said, no, I'm safe. Everything's good. And, and, um, got off Yahoo Instant Messenger with her cause I had to actually, um, stay up that night to, um, reverse out cause I was going to fly the next night uh, and I flew that day. So I had to fly next night, but, um, and then they showed up at her door shortly after that and told her that uh, Aaron had been killed in action. And I didn't know about it. I, I woke up in the morning, was woken up in the morning, and it was I was woken up early. I was supposed to sleep in till noon so that I could do my laundry and and then you know transfer out uh, from days to nights and uh, as they call it, reverse out and. It was like 8:33 exactly. Like, no, it wasn't like it was 8:33 exactly. And they came in and and shook my foot and said the company commander needed to see me in the in his his tent. And I I walked in there and the chaplain was sitting there and I thought something had happened to my dad. And they read the Red Cross message that Aaron had been killed in action. And, and uh, at that point. Uh, I lost every, I mean, I lost it. I lost, mm. I, I, there was no, I, I can't say that in, in that moment that other than I, I will tell you that my wife saw it a second time, but it was, it was even worse, but she saw it a second time when Randy was killed in action, but, um, because it just, it felt like it had happened all over again. And although he was, not my full blood sibling. I loved him and, and, but it just, I, I was crushed for my sister in that regard. But, you know, when I found out about Aaron, I, I had to call my parents and my mom's apologizing to me and saying, I'm like, mom, you just lost your son. And, you know, she's told me, you know, you're, you're over there all alone and, you know, you need to be here with family. And I mean, that's what, how mom thinks, you know, and then I called my dad and it was first time, uh, I'd ever heard my dad cry and I heard him cry on the phone and it was horrible. Um, it was the, the whole, that whole, I wouldn't wish that moment on anyone. And, um, you know, we just, uh, we, we made it through it and then I got back home and it took me four days to get back home. And there's just, uh, that whole day I could go, I could tell you a story that would last for hours on that whole day and how different circumstances and things that, I was dealing with um, just, you know, simple things from trying to count the pair pairs of underwear you got to have to be able to get from where you are to where you're going to be and what you need and not even being able to think straight enough to say, I got to do this and having to wash your clothes still and then having your company commander steam iron the water out of your underwear and your socks because you're, you're just so lost trying to figure it out. But, um, you know, just so, something so simple and, you know, going from that and then get just being in a state of shock and numbness, um, traveling home and finally got home and, uh, you know, it was, uh, I showed up to a hundred news cameras at, at the Tampa International Airport and it was just a huge blur, uh, huge blur, uh, huge, huge huge hole uh, to to dig myself out of where everything was just uh, nothing was right obviously mm-hmm. um so anyway that's hopefully a, a decent enough description uh, of a moment in my life that once again i said i'd never wish on anybody yeah no I, you could you could feel the confusion and like the way you explained it you're just like wow like you, you realize people that you know are dying a lot in the military and you know this is the stuff you have to deal with as you continue to say like sometimes you don't get the time to go back you got to continue to fight or continue to do the job and how difficult that must be for anyone in war times especially to perform the duties because you know like you lose your brothers you lose your friends and you know what you got to continue to move forward it's like I don't know how, you know, like when my dad died, I was in shock too. I just broke down. I couldn't do anything for about a day there. Um, but I'm glad you're able to go home and, and spend that time with family. 
did you ever go back like after that and fly or or did you is that when your career started taking off no that was the uh the last day aaron died when he died was the last day i flew Hmm. um the last day i flew blackhawks i i flew that day and that was it um i actually uh you know the i felt one of the smartest decisions that i could make for me as a, a a person to be able to heal but also um for anyone that would be in an aircraft with me there's a, there's an immense amount of responsibility for other people's lives in that circumstance and in every circumstance when you're in control of a multi-million dollar piece of equipment that um you know is not meant to fly it's designed to crash it's not meant to fly by itself anyway um had to make the decision as to whether i felt it was the right thing for me to continue to do that or to you know to to find a different path at that at that point and i sent a uh, a letter to my commander and and said that i i was going to um ex- exercise my soul survivor rights um because although steve my oldest brother is my brother he's my half brother by adoption and aaron and i were only our the only full-blood siblings and you know, our biological father did not have another son. So it was, um, you know, under the Soul Survivor Act. And then there's a provision if you're a a, a military service member deployed to, deployed to combat and you lose a sibling, then you're also considered a sole survivor in that regard, too. But I, I personally, it took me two years to look at a Blackhawk after that. It was not a, it was a an abnormal, uncomfortable, just you know painful feeling to to look up in the sky even when i would hear a blackhawk flying over because i would know the sound of it because the only thing that i could think about was it coming out of the sky and, and aaron in it and it just um you know everybody deals with loss differently and there's so many guys that and gals that are in combat that tell me stories all the time about losing their fellow soldiers are losing, you know, losing folks like that. And they deal with it in such a significantly different way. And it's, you know, it's tough to, you know, figure out whether, you know, when I think about that stuff about how they, they were able to do it. And then, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't look at a helicopter. I couldn't, there's no way I could comfortably and reasonably say that I would be able to have control of that aircraft and make sure without question that I was doing everything I could to to keep everyone in that aircraft safe because my mind was just not in it plus I couldn't look at them much less fly one you know it, it it's it was it was tough you know it was uh it was a really tough moment to and a really tough decision to make it but I think it was the best decision I could have made uh considering what I was going through so yeah, I think you say exact your logic was right cuz you're responsible for so much more than just yourself and you have to I'm glad you're aware of that cuz some people will try to go right back to what their routine was to try to like keep the normality of life. But for you it was like a double loss because now you're you've also lost that part of yourself which you've been trained to be. And so yeah. Wow, that's 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 so tough. That's uh that's so tough. So when uh, when was it that you could look at a helicopter? So like, so what changed between the first couple of years versus, I guess, now? Um, honestly, I think that the closest I got to a helicopter that really where I felt comfortable doing it was when Randy, um, my brother-in-law, we were up in Kansas at Fort Riley, and he took me into tour um, their hangar, and it was one of the first times that I got close to a Blackhawk uh, after that. You know, it. Uh, I think that was the first time really that and it, it was several years after that obviously but um when i felt more comfortable in it but even you know so at that point it still feels weird or felt weird um but i was it was not to the point to where it was almost as if i had a new perspective to take that we had you know another family member that was doing it and um it, it's just uh it's it was it's unfathomable unfathomable to look at 
uh, a piece of equipment like that and know, I mean, we have, pic- I have pictures of crash site and different things because I wanted to know and to see what that helicopter was after it crashed and then, you know, see it back to as, as what I remembered it. Um, and it kind of brought that positivity back into seeing it again and also, you know, with Randy and then, and then of course we, you know, we went through it all over again and it was different this time though, because I think it wasn't for me, I wasn't flying them every day and it wasn't a combat situation and, 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 and whatnot. So, I mean, I've, I've seen Blackhawk since then and it really just doesn't, it, 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 I think that I got past that and that, you know, realizing that just because it was Blackhawk in the sky, that it was not, that it wasn't directly related to Aaron by any means. And um, I think that I had to come to grips with that myself. But uh, yeah, we got to hang out in the, with my uh, my son and, and Randy and my daughter and we're, you know, looking at the inside of it and, you know, the, it's a, it was a different kind of helicopter with a different, with a different uh, cockpit and, and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So, you know, it was just a, a, a different experience that we were, you know, seeing and, and, and having. So I think it really kind of changed uh, my perspective a little bit again, and even more. So. And then is that when, so how long after till Randy died? Uh, he died in 2013. So um, it was, I believe the, the year before he actually died was when uh, it may have been a, like a half a year or a year before he died that, um, that we got to tour in you know tour in the Blackhawk and whatnot so to experience wow. that with him well it's nice you had that you have that memory um yeah absolutely with him yeah and then almost like you say like he can't say too he helped show you that it wasn't once what what it once was and a lot of times i think people have these fears and stuff and we don't know when they go away because we avoid them so often but you've been you must have worked on something throughout that time that there was healing taking place. And so when you saw it, you had a different feel to it. And I think that's, that's yeah, beautiful. I think the music, yeah, I think the music had something to do with it as well. I mean, obviously being able to, uh, to talk about Aaron on a regular basis and be able to uh, tell his story. Every time I got on stage for years, I think, you know, it's cathartic and was very, you know, it was a promise that I made. And, and plus being able to support nonprofit organizations and, and, you know, different groups that were helping our fellow service members and heroes, you know, that, that really was, uh, I think a way for me to be able to continue to serve. And it also helped, helped in healing as well. So, you know, I think that it was a a pretty, I would say thorough healing therapy year (laughs) Uh, or several years in music, I would say. And, And then of course, when that happened with Randy, it, it brought it all back and uh, I seem to bounce back a little bit quicker on that. And it's not because I loved him any less, but I, I think that one of the things that was tough for me to deal with when Aaron died was that initial uh, feeling of survivor's remorse uh, that I made it back and he didn't, but then also feeling that if I hurt any less, that I loved him any less. And I think, you know, that's, I, I think I, well, you know the folks that I talked to, especially when we were at Taps. Uh, that's something that I think is common with a lot of new losses. You know, when it's fresh. You know, that's when I spoke about it and said that the moment that you make the decision to live your life honoring their memory uh, and the life that they lived, and realize that you have the choice to do that when you make that decision wholeheartedly with all of your heart, it takes a million pounds of weight off your shoulders. Because for me, I was a miserable person and hollow and guarded, I would say for probably two years after Aaron died. I wouldn't, I mean, I would say miserable, but the the music really started helping me heal. But I was, I was just hollow. I, I, there wasn't a lot of room for me to love there. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that I say that now because I think that, um, you know, especially like when I met my wife and I, I found that there was so much, there was so much out there that, that you could love. And, 
it's it's tough when you go through those those losses. But like I said, I when I made that decision, probably the best advice that I can give anybody when they're going through it, and giving them the reassurance that it is going to happen, that there is going to you are going to come to that moment. If you choose to, it can happen whenever you choose to, but you have to wholeheartedly make that decision and know that the hurt can be replaced with moving forward, but with, you know, in their, in their memory and, but, you know, just being living your life because you have the choice to do so. Um, it, it doesn't make it any less. It, it just replaces or fills that void of, them not being there and, and the hurt that was actually taking it, which is actually not healthy, you know, to be hurting and hurting and hurting. Obviously everyone has to grieve, but it can be detrimental to your relationships and detrimental to everything else. So it, the quicker that I wouldn't say the quicker, but when it's the right time for you to make that decision, it does lift a million pounds of weight off your shoulders to make that decision. That's so interesting. You say that, cause uh, I think you're right. People get attached to the idea that, if I'm not in pain, it means I don't love them anymore. And I love how you brought that up because it doesn't mean that at all. You know, pain doesn't no. equal love, you know, and you're in pain, true, because someone you love died, but you don't have to attach yourself to the pain. And I see that also with dreams. Some people have these negative dreams of their loved one. And I always sort of suggest that, you know, if you work on different aspects of your grief, it can actually help. And then maybe you'll get some more positive dreams, but they're so afraid to work on their grief because they say they may not, what happens if the dreams stop? Because even though it's negative, they get to see him again. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. So they're hanging on to this pain just to have these dreams, even though they're not even positive. There's just these negative images for fear that they might, you know, um, lose the, uh, just the image of them in general. So yeah, I, I like how you're saying it though. So at the end, I'm glad you you found that out and you opened you found a way to open your heart too because that's that's a challenge, right? And I'm you know I guess your wife helped you a lot and finding something new to love can also can always bring that up and open you um, as you can. So I actually it's interesting you know like the other thing I want to say too is um, you have two songs that are based on loss and the first one's like never forgotten and you even say in the lyric something about that which i thought was really cool is that you know hold on to hurt so you don't fade away i think that's what you're talking about yep yeah yep exactly that's that's where that line came from specifically because you think that their memory is going to fade away because you're hurting less and um, that was just a different way of saying it and so i love how you put so much of your your own story within your music so the other song that I heard at the uh, the taps was what you think of me and mm-hmm. that, that that song is what broke me down you know and I just start crying I'm like this isn't I'm like what am I doing <laughs> I just cry <laughs> but it was touching my heart and I want to sort of just uh ask you where did that song come from uh, we actually wrote that song Craig who played acoustic guitar with me he and I wrote that song on the 10th anniversary of Aaron's death and a lot of the lyrics, you know, I think about the memories, the positive memories there, you know, is kind of a double-edged sword when you write a song like that. I wanted to tell the positive story about, you know, the things that I remember about him and how I wanted to remember his life. And then I also wanted to you know, tell, let, let the listener know that, you know, I honored him. I honor him every time I sing, every time I perform, I I honor him. And I want folks to know that a lot of what I tried to do is based off of his, of an example that he set in a, you know, a sacrifice that I'll never be able to make because I'm not going to go back in the military and and make that same sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate um, gift to someone by laying your life down for them. You know, I, I always gauged my performance, my performance standard in the military. I always gauged it based off of how Aaron performed and, you know, in music, Aaron couldn't sing a lick (laughs) but so my you know but in in that regard still my 
standard of character and, and standard of living, everybody that knew Aaron knew his standard of his standard of living and his character. And I always wanted to, you know, I always wonder whenever I'm the decisions I'm making, when I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, uh, am I honoring his sacrifice and honoring his memory the way that I should be? And I can't, you know, think of a better way of saying it than in a song with that that I got to write or or that I wrote in his his honor, telling him and essentially singing the song to him and saying, "I wonder what you think of, what what you think of me when I'm doing all of this." So anyway, you know, I just uh, you know the lyrics came naturally. It was probably one of the smoothest written songs that I was able to. Um, to put together being able to sorry I'm um and when it comes to thinking about how how I wrote a song and those pauses in thought <laughs> putting a song together that's going to be meaningful and poignant but also tell a very genuine story about how I felt about my brother and and we were actually we had live oak trees in our front yard when we were we climbed in those live oak trees all the time and when steve would come home from the ranger regiment he'd bring his repelling ropes and um we would you know swing out of the trees and do all that army stuff and we had you know back in the day when you could ride your bikes out in the neighborhood and everything is was safe and you know just those times in your lives when you're being nothing but kids and now you know you're looking at him not being there but going from being kids and making the ultimate sacrifice to me now being an adult and and trying to live up to you know his what would be considered expectations but I don't think that he would have those expectations my own expectations of of what I feel his sacrifice was worth to me that's really what this song is about um and I think that everybody out there who has lost somebody they, at one time or another, if if they respected that person and loved that person, that they wonder during the times when they're weak or during the times when they're dealing with hardship and or when they're not being the best possible person they can be, they wonder if that per, you know the person they lost is looking down on them and and wondering if they're doing the right thing, you know, or, and what they think of them. So I think that's why I think it may have been relatable to you, you know, and and anybody that's out there because. When you lose somebody that you care about, that that kind of a song really hits home because it's a conversation that I'm sure many people have had with a person that they lost or in in, in their lives. No, it's so true, you know. Like, and I think it's those are the thoughts you think in your head. You don't like you don't really talk about it, but it like when you're making decisions, when you're just like reflecting on the time that has passed like even for me the time has passed since my dad died there's there's definitely moments there where it's like okay, what do you what do you think of all this you know like graduating and, and doing this research and even the podcast you're just like you know like what what are your thoughts you know and you know are you proud and as a as a son that's where i, I get teary right like is, is this because i always tried to make my dad proud like throughout my whole life and it's like is is this good right like is everything i'm doing making you proud and it really it really sinks home because like you don't i want to believe yes right but it's just those thoughts that you know if he was here he'd be able to say yes or give that approval that you just don't get and you're just like in that wonder and in that always yeah yep you're always in that in that that wonder and you don't have an answer other than your own and the you know what possibly is you know yeah and so I'm guessing since you talk about loss so much and you have speaking gigs where you, you know, you share your story, do you get a lot of people coming up to you and telling them about their loss? And like, what's that like for you if that happens? Uh, if I've got Gold Star family members or folks that have lost their, yeah, absolutely. I guess the best way, the best answer for that question is yes. Um, mm-hmm. And that was with, I don't know if you got to see, I, I wrote an article in the TAPS um, magazine this past i don't know if you get the taps magazine but i wrote an article in it and essentially the article was called you don't know what you don't know i got the title actually from my wife uh, for the article but it's called you don't know what you don't know and essentially what what it 
really encompasses is that when you find yourself in a group of folks who who really truly understand because they've been through that loss um nobody's loss is the same but it seemed to me that when i was hearing stories and uh multiple stories obviously after i spoke about their loved ones that very there were a lot of similarities in each one of the stories as far as the way that folks mm-hmm. felt about them and you know the especially when it comes to the military combat loss um and and even you know the the losses by suicide or losses by toxic exposure there's still a common thread in that everyone is looking for seemed to be looking for someone who could they could talk to that really understood and it wasn't just like a counselor outside the box or you know or or, or someone to that regard but someone who had actually experienced the loss themselves and there's a, a kindred spirit there uh between folks uh who have experienced that loss unfortunately you know it's a common bond but the stories were just endless and it was really it, it opened my heart a lot as well even more to listen to other folks to know that you're not alone in that in that loss that and I mean, I've my wife has never made me feel alone in any circumstance when it comes to it. She's been right there by my side. I think that, you know, once she got to experience the loss with me, with Randy, uh, she got to see it firsthand, and then it was a whole different ballgame at that point. But when it comes to losing your own um, flesh and blood, it, it's just a, it's different. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably one of the coolest things about, I say coolest in a bad not in a bad way, but in a therapeutic way. But it's you know it's one of the uh, the coolest things that people want to actually talk to you and and share their stories and it make and to be part somewhat of their healing process is is a great thing. Um, and especially when you know to have somebody that trusts you with that much of an important part of their life to tell you about it. Uh, it's it, for me is it's an honor to have that position. Well, that's beautiful. And I'm, I'm glad people, uh, people do that. You're right. It makes your, like your journey so much more meaningful too. Right. And that, you know, that you're having an impact and just who you are. And I'm glad too, cause you know, after the show, people came up to you and you're talking to them and I'm glad you give people that the permission to come to you, um, to share their story. Oh, of course. Like you're, you're, you're open to that. Yeah. It's just kind of like someone says, thank you for, you know, honoring our heroes and thank our, you know, our first responders, law enforcement and military. And I couldn't see myself doing anything else. I couldn't see it any other way. Really couldn't. So. Well, that's how you know the person's, you know, true to their word and their heart's in it for the right reasons. So I love it. It comes to the music. So, you know, if anyone's out there, you know, please, you know, listen to his his music. We'll put some uh, links to some videos you have in the show notes. But they're beautiful songs with any type of loss. And so I want to get to dreams. Have you had a dream of uh, either Aaron or Randy since they've died? I have had a dream of a couple of dreams of Aaron. And I remember one of them vividly and the other one was it. Actually, I remember both of them vividly, but one of them made a little bit of sense to me. And the other one, I have no idea what it was about because it was just he was there. and. The first dream that I had that I do remember vividly, there was he had a boat. Aaron was Aaron liked to fish. He was uh, an avid. He got put on the pro am, a pro am boat, fish bass fishing, and actually outfished the professional angler, which was kind of cool. But um, he loved he loved to fish, and and um, the dream in the dream there was a gray, like a it was almost a deep sea fishing boat that had it was. It had like parts of a Blackhawk that were sticking out of the sides, like these foot posts that we, when you go up the uh, to the tail rotor to do a, um, a check on it, uh, on a Blackhawk. Those were on there. It was just this matte gray and it was in our front yard and where we grew up. And I really didn't have much of a conversation with them. It was, that was more, I was like, I can't believe you're here and you know i remember being upset and can't believe that you're here and happy i say upset but like overjoyed um i guess but then also at the same time i knew that it wasn't real and then i woke up um it's kind of one of those where i was i don't know if people have dreams like this all the time but i've gotten i used to i mean i'm have a i'm petrified of heights in in real life 
and which is kind of interesting because I flew, but it's not the same feeling. And it's it's definitely it's if any if I could fall off of something and I know that I'm gonna die or really be hurt, my body just does weird stuff that I can't control. <laughs> my legs <laughs> get weak and other stuff. But so in my dreams, I used to fly or fall off of stuff, but I would be falling and know. As soon, and, and then I would almost be conscious and know that it wasn't real and then I would wake up I, it was I don't know if that happens to folks a lot or not but it happens to me well in that circumstance I realized that he was I knew that he wasn't alive but and then I woke up and then the second one was in a house someplace no idea where the house was no idea what the thing was and and he was just he was there and he was happy and and once again, I knew that it wasn't real and I woke up, um, you know, so it was kind of a, there wasn't, I, I can't really say what they meant, what, what the dreams meant or even other than the, the boat, I think that that may have been some relational stuff and obviously the Blackhawk stuff and then, you know, the boat itself for fishing because you like to fish, but um, that was really, those were the really the only two dreams that I've had of him and I haven't, uh, you know, I remember when I woke up the first time, I was I woke up crying. Um, but uh, the second one, it was... It, the, the crazy thing is when... I don't know if it's happened to you or not, but you wake up and it's almost like there's a fraction, not, not anywhere close to the feeling, but that loss again, uh, that feeling of loss again, because it was almost like they were there and then they weren't... Um, but I, I remember waking up and and feeling like like I had just you know gotten a phone call from him and I, I knew it was the last phone call or seeing it ahead of time you know kind of a thing I don't know it was it was it was weird but that's pretty much it that's all I've got <laughs> <laughs> hey that's two that's pretty good um, yeah no I th- I hear that a lot of these dreams can be very comforting in the sense of the imagery or they're just a positive imagery. But when the person wakes up, it's like, it's all a dream and it's just the reality. It's like the mind switching to the reality of the loss and that they are dead. Right. And then, so it just brings up sort of that grief a little bit. And, but yeah, it's interesting how you're, you become basically the, the terms lucid. So you, be, you realize it's a dream and you wake up. I wonder like, cause a lot of people don't, can't do that. Like it's not something that's very common. I think it's 10% of the population, mm. lucid dreams or whatever. But I wonder if you didn't wake up, what the story would have been, right? Like, because a lot of times you have, you see the disease and then there's this story that plays out. Like you'll talk and some things happen. But like every time you realize it's a dream, you're like, you're waking up. So it's interesting. I wonder, I wonder actually, what would you want if you didn't know like if you could stay in the dream longer is there something that you'd want to talk to him about or or share or do yeah i mean i i think that you know the to be able to have another second of it uh uh, you know or 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 a moment with him to be able to sit down and tell him um you know how much i love him and obviously the the typical if i was given another moment uh, statements I'm sure but um, for me quite honestly like he he's uh, interviewed in the History Channel interviews for Black Hawk Down uh, the making of Black Hawk Down uh, and when I hear him talk I lose it every time because it's it's like he's there but he's not and, and it's almost it's almost like it's it's a it's punishment sit there and listen to him talk and as opposed to being able to enjoy the fact that he was talking it to me I look at it and it's it's tough because I know that he can't anymore and, he, and he's not alive um it hurts it hurts it hurts really bad I lo- I mean my wife will tell you we we've watched the history channel interviews for Black Hawk Down a couple times and I just I can't control myself uh, emotionally whenever that ha- whenever I hear him talk it's just a whole different thing it's on a whole never, whole nother level because I didn't get the chance to say goodbye to him. A lot of folks don't get the chance to say goodbye to their loved ones when, uh, obviously, in the combat situation when they die. And you know, I saw him just a couple of days before that, and you know, those are the memories that I have of him left, and and obviously some other memories, but those are the the freshest memories, the newest ones. 
but then when I see him talk, it's almost like it's just like another dagger. So I, I mean, I avoid trying watching it. And for me, the, the because it's knowing that if I was going to spend more time with him, that I was just gonna that I was just gonna have to lose him all over again. For, for me, it's 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 I've I've accepted the fact that he's not here anymore, and it's almost like you're just giving him to me to take him away again. I guess I don't know. If that's that's a, a way to, probably not a positive way to look at it, but for me it's kind of, you know, if if, if I'm meant to be with him, at, you know, in the afterlife, and yeah. and then we get to hang out, and we know it's going to be, it's going to be forever. Then that's great. But otherwise, you know, it's like, hey, head, don't screw with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're just being you're being honest. It's like where it is and where your grief's at, and yeah you know like it's difficult and these dreams i'm guessing you said like when you had these dreams maybe you wouldn't even want to talk in them because it'd bring up so much emotion and it's just maybe just seeing them is enough for the the to remember what he looks like kind of thing and to sort of have that continuing bond in your sleep yeah that's interesting and you know there's nothing wrong with that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and you're finding a way to deal with your grief and you're putting towards your music and your yep. emotion comes out through that. So yeah, that's it. But it's interesting how you become lucid. I think that's uh, pretty unique. Come on. All right. I like so, being uh, unique. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Talking about being unique, you actually are, you started a couple, I guess, partner brands with uh, yep. some stuff. So you want to talk about that? Yeah, I'm a uh, partner brand with Nine Line Apparel. Uh, I've got five designs with them. They're a military clothing company. Essentially, they're owned by a veteran who is a uh, Apache pilot and then went to the 160th and flew in the 160th as a Blackhawk uh, aviator. But um, he is, they started Nine Line Apparel, and I have five designs with them. You can go on to NineLineApparel.com and search Ryan Weaver, and you'll find my designs. We have some ball caps and different things there is, and shirts and all that so i'm excited about that because it's been doing pretty well and then uh i'm a partner brand with lane boots as well l-a-n-e boots and you have the ryan weaver old glory by lane boots that are out in black and stone washed across the nation you can find them on boot barn you can find them at lane.com you can find them on nordstrom online and several uh they have several stores that have them on their shelves as well and we're coming out with a brown version and a an ankle zip version of the boots as well in january so i'm excited to move forward with those and working on another design for a spring or fall launch as well with them so we got some pretty cool stuff working with lane also partnered up with liberty home concealment which is a home concealment furniture company that has concealment flags for your uh home protection plan with whatever firearm you may have, you can actually lock them up in, in a flag that attaches to the wall and nobody knows that they're there and unlock them in a quick manner to uh, protect yourself in case of a home invasion. And uh, also signed on just recently with a company called Soldier Socks. Uh, Soldier Socks is a S-O-L-E-D-I-E-R socks. And essentially they donate a pair of socks for every every pair of socks that are purchased they donate a pair of socks to a military service member deployed which is really cool and we're getting the design set for that and getting it ready for the holiday season so really motivated about that as well and can't wait to get that one out there wow you got a lot of things uh cooking in in that potty oh yeah (laughs) yes i'm also a partner brand with forged leather that's f-o-r-j apostrophe d leather and they do red leather bracelets and they're actually called leather cuffs but for remember everyone deployed fridays we always do red fridays and you can go to forgedleather.com and order up a ryan weaver r-e-d friday bracelet too so all right anything else you got (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's, man that's about it you right keep now. busy you keep busy i gotta say and then i'm guessing you're touring because I, I checked out your site so yes. what's uh what dates are coming up this year so to finish out the 2019 season i'm actually flying out to hawaii on november 7th to do a marine force recon foundation event we're going to do an acoustic set and then sing the national anthem for a golf tournament and then play golf 
and then I'm flying to LAX on the 11th on Veterans Day, meeting up with my wife, and we're flying over to Australia to do three concerts with the professional bull riders in Townsville, Tamworth, and Melbourne, Australia for three weeks, and we're going to spend the last week uh, after that, the fourth week in the South Island of New Zealand for a little vacation time back on December 11th and nothing going on for the rest of the year until we have a couple speaking engagements and funding this new music video that we've got that we're going to be filming in April. Ah, oh, beautiful. I wish, uh, when you come to Canada, <laughs> I'd love to come up to Canada. We um, her my uh, wife's brother-in-law lives in Vancouver. We love it up there. Vancouver's a beautiful city and Whistler, we got to spend some time up there too. And we've we've talked on multiple occasions about taking a train all the way across Canada, uh, do a two or three week or whatever it is, uh, train vacation across Canada. Just got to be able to find get in between the other things that we've got going on with her work and mine to be able to get out there and take that vacation that's cool because yeah i love bc we're uh we're in ontario over by toronto so if yeah if you ever come to ontario uh let us know and we'll uh we'll get you back on do some promo and i uh, look forward to hearing you again that sounds great i appreciate you having me on hey man it was uh it took a little while but uh we here we're here and we had a great conversation so once again i just want to thank you from my heart to take the opportunity i know you're busy with everything that's going on to uh to speak about your career and like your journey because i find it so fascinating and then also your loss like it takes uh it takes a special person to be able to come on here and be vulnerable and open up and then also to be able to be supportive of other people um in their own loss so you know thank you for being who you are and keep writing those those songs from the heart right on man i appreciate you having me all right. Is there anywhere else people can find you? Um, if you want to shout out any like social media contacts or uh, social media handles. I'd say WeaverCountry.com is the website to uh, find me on. And then Facebook.com Ryan Weaver Country. And then Instagram is Instagram.com Ryan Weaver Country. And my YouTube page, if you want to go on, is the only different one. It's actually Weaver Country. So if you want to check that out and I'm, I don't spend a whole lot of time on Twitter, quite honestly, because I just don't understand it. And I'm not at the, <laughs> the level to to have a million tw Twitter followers. So it doesn't seem like anybody pays attention to anything I put on there anyway. <laughs> so my Instagram and Facebook are my are my two primary uh, social media uh, pages. But then if you want to see some music videos and all that good stuff, you can go on my YouTube page and check it out. And nice. And if people check out your EP, Celebrate America. Uh, have you, because I know the one song that I love so much, What You Think of Me, is that coming out on a, uh, can you purchase that anywhere yet? What You Think of Me has not been released yet. It's actually going to be out on a uh, on a documentary series, but we're going to, we're looking at doing a a full album version of that. But we do have two new singles that came out that are off, uh, or, or since after this Celebrate America EP, Arrival was released in March. I think that anybody that wants a workout song, motivational, kick butt motivational song, Arrival is a song for you. Time Like This is very similar as far as the motivational stuff is concerned, but we're actually funding a music video for Arrival right now to be uh, filmed in April, which is going to be uh, a pretty killer video. We're excited about it. going to be a good follow-up to Burn, my music video Burn, if anybody hasn't seen that. Go check out Burn, uh, and then we have Crank It. Crank It is also a, another music video that's out there. So lots of stuff to be able to take a look at. Nice. So if you want to run or if you want to cry, you got everything covered in, <laughs> in your repertoire. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you want to run, you want to run, work out, do all that kind of stuff, listen to Arrival, you want to cry, watch Never Forgotten, and, and uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Beautiful. And we'll put some of those uh, videos in the show notes. So if you guys want to listen to it, uh, please check it out. They're amazing. Um, but yeah, once again, thank you so much for coming on. Just to wrap up with our stuff, you can check out our platform at griefdreams.ca. You can find information on the topic of dreams, common questions, everything you need to know is on there. We had a donation button if you want, with some perks. If you want to donate and support us, you can. We also have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Just you know, check out the website. Uh, Instagram is where we do most of our activity, and that's at griefdreams. And we have another one called at the griefdreams podcast. So with love and gratitude from us to you.
Spanish. And questions? I have introduced myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.